Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm. Maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay. I'll start with a salad. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Together they are suspected of at least six completed uh, underworld killings. And considering the number of suspects and the amount of crimes being committed, at least according to the prosecutors, uh, this can be seen as the biggest murder trial uh, in Dutch history. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The Marengo case against the notorious Ridouan Taji is drawing to a close in the Netherlands where state prosecutors are seeking a life term in prison for him and a number of his senior lieutenants. Decrypted phone messages taken from a series of hacks of networks used by criminals, including the EncroChat and Enetcom networks, have formed the backbone of the case and have been used as evidence that Taji ordered murders and drug shipments from the luxury of Dubai while partnered up with Daniel Kinahan and the other members of the super cartel. Today, I'm talking to my colleague Jan Mayes, crime correspondent and podcaster with Amsterdam's NRC newspaper, about the Marengo trial, about an appeal which may hear the first evidence of super cartel, supergrass, Raphael Imperiale, and about an eerie calm that has settled in a country exhausted by narco-terrorism. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. We're going to come back to Marengo because we haven't spoken to you for a while and it's basically wound to an end. Uh, the Marengo trial, maybe you'll just remind those listening what it is and how many people have been on trial. So the Marengo trial uh, is the case against Hidro uh, Tachi, which started in, uh, the actual start was in 2021. And there is, uh, so he's the main suspect. There is 16 other suspects, among which uh, a few of his, uh, you know, his, his biggest wingmen. One of them is uh, Said Razuki, who was arrested in, uh, in Colombia and then extradited quite late into the trial. So that's one of the reasons why it's been delayed 
maybe six months to nine months. Mm. And um, one of the major uh, characters in the trial is uh, what we call crown witness, which probably is better in English, a deal witness. And um, he, uh, so he has uh, opened up to the police and uh, given a lot of uh, uh, statements and evidence. And together they are suspected of at least six completed uh, underworld killings between uh, 2015 and early 2017. And then a number of, uh, you know, uh, uh, set up, setting up of, of underworld killings or uh, failed underworld killings. And considering the number of suspects and the amount of, of uh, 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 you know, crimes being committed, at least according to the prosecutors, uh, this can be seen as the biggest murder trial uh, in Dutch history. Mm. Now, during the course of the evidence that was heard, um, mm -hmm. was there much coming in from that, you know, those encrypted phone hacks from the first being Enetcom, you know, from EncroChat? Was there was there information being used in the course of the trial that was decrypted from them? Uh, yes, actually, you know, the, the, the deal witness, Nabil Bey is his name. He was arrested or actually he, he went to the police early 2017 that's already you know more than six years ago and in terms of the developments in the crypto communication uh uh story it's a lifetime yeah because in 2017 early 2017 the dutch police were getting the first enetcom messages you know they did the, the the story is that the the server of enetcom was in uh, canada they discovered it and confiscated the material in 2016, April, May 2016. Then it took uh, a judge uh, about you know eight, nine months to see whether that material could be used by Dutch police. And that was authorized uh, late 2016, early 2017. And then they started to get you know an idea what was in the messages. Uh, later in, in 2017, they also confiscated another PGP server, which is called PGP Safe, and that server was in Costa Rica. That day, the data they got a lot quicker. So, like during the summer of 2017, um, they got a lot of messages. And actually, they, they sort of, the messages sort of underscored what, uh, the deal witness Nabil had been telling about Dahi and his crew. And uh, they are the main body of evidence, I would say, in the whole trial. And interestingly, the timeline of that, because, of course, in the summer of 2017, uh, we had the by now infamous Daniel Kinahan wedding in the Burj Al Arab. Yep. At that point, the DEA were on board and they were watching and putting that that wedding under surveillance. And they saw uh, Rido and Taghi and others at the mm. wedding, including the Chilean, um, El Rico, he's called, and he's already been convicted in the Netherlands. Yeah. And I think the last time I was talking to you, you were saying that they were continuing to see was there messages on those phones that may link him to further crimes or more serious crimes. He hasn't been convicted of murder. 
No, so he he has been convicted. It's now a year and a half ago. About he has been convicted for being the leader of a criminal organization, as we call it, um, and that organization was, uh, you know, aimed at drug trafficking, money laundering, and uh, murder. Um, but he has not been convicted for actual murder. So in the end, the, the, his sentence was uh, something close to 13 years in jail. Mm. And there is now an appeal running. And in that appeal, there's actually some interesting things happening. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. Mm. And um, yeah, so he's now in jail waiting, waiting his appeal. And the question still is, is there evidence enough to uh, also, you know, for the Dutch to be able to uh, prosecute him for murder. And the thing here is that he was arrested in Chile and then uh, extradited to the Netherlands. But at the time he was extradited, he was only extradited for drug trafficking and money laundering. Mm. And that means, according to international law, that he that the Chileans have to approve him being prosecuted for other things than the things he was extradited for. And there has been some effort by the Dutch prosecutor's office to see if they can, you know, uh, get uh, the Chileans to approve that he can also be prosecuted for murder. But as of now, they have not reached the, the, the you know, that they have not presented enough evidence in Chile for them to say, okay, you can go ahead with that. So for the time being, this, yeah, the, the case against him is what it is, you know, criminal organization, uh, drug trafficking, money laundering. And that's where it's at. Mm. And, uh, well, what's now interesting is one of the other people, you know, at the wedding in Dubai uh, was uh, an Italian guy named Raffaele Imperiale. And I'm sure you've talked about him on, on your show. He is uh, now uh, a pentiti in Italy. So he was arrested in Dubai in, in the summer of 2021. And then he was uh, extradited, I think, somewhere last year. And he is now talking to uh, Italian prosecutors. And Imperiale was one of the main business partners of Tahi and of um, uh, Rico. Mm -hmm. So um, the question is, will Imperiale... Uh, spill his beans on those two former partners. Now that will end up as a political matter nearly, Jan, won't it? Because it'll be, the Italians have him, he's talking to them, they'll obviously want information that is relevant to the Camorra, who he was supplying with drugs and guns uh, um, and a money laundering service. So he, they will want to use him in relation to that. So the Dutch will be asking the Italians for any help they can give it, it's just, it's funny when I you look at all this, especially the phone traffic and the decryption of the messages. The uh -huh. Dutch have been so central and ahead of the game on this. And everybody is relying on the Dutch now to, you know, to, to give the messages. To When we think of the amount of messages that are dating back to Enetcom, to PGP Safe, mm -hmm. to EncroChat, what came next? Was it Sky EC yeah. came next? Yeah. And then we've had... Uh, the last one is uh, exclude, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's five major hacks. And each one of them has presented 
police forces with millions and millions of encrypted messages, which they've decrypted, and they then have to trawl through them. Like, how does human beings do that? Or is it again, is it done by computer? Do they pick a word and try and search for it? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, computer assisted. Mm. So, um, you know, the the interesting thing about the live hack. So that started with with anchor chat in, in 2020. Then they actually are reading the messages as they were sending mm-hmm. uh, uh, them uh, through the anchor chat uh, uh, service. Um, in under Dutch law, the police has to prevent serious crimes from happening if they know about it. Mm-hmm. So if there is messaging between two uh, uh, nicknames or aliases that they don't know, and they see that they're planning a murder, the police have to act on that kind of information. So they have like um, uh, artificial learning programs, so uh, AI intelligence uh, learning programs, and they um, uh, through those programs, they select messages that they think uh, can present a clear and present danger for a person or a huge drug uh, deal or, uh, you know, a cash transfer of millions of euros. And then they the, the police have to act on that. And so they have a system in place that they use computers. And then the computers do the first selection of, of uh, messages that can be deemed, you know, uh, like they have to, they need like, actual um, attendance from like the police. Almost sort of in a, in a, a red, orange, you know, red, yes, amber exactly. and green yeah. alert system. Yeah, yeah. And then, the, and then the police themselves have to read the messages and interpret what is going on. And in, in the case that they see something, uh, you know, like, like a planning of a killing or something like that, then they, if they have enough information, they will act on it. And it actually happened a few times. So one, in actually one case, that was a corruption case. So, they were seeing a, uh, a corrupt police officer using AnchorChat mm-hmm. when the the the, um, uh, the hack was not official. So they were still undercover trying to get as much messages as possible. And they arrested that cop on the basis of messages sent in the pat in, in, in like the weeks before his arrest. And then they found on his next to his bed, they found an actual AnchorChat phone that he used. Uh, so yes, they use some kind of uh, of computer learning skills, and then uh, we have like a forensic service. Uh, it's called the Dutch Forensic Service, and they have built this search machine uh, that you know. So they have all the messages mm-hmm. uploaded in that machine, and then it allows you to search, and it it searches in two ways because that's it's pretty important to understand as I have been explained it, you know, you have the messages itself, which are uh, evidence in court, but you also have like uh, networks. So you have all these nicknames and phone addresses uh, that, you know, uh, uh, communicate together. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people, you know, started with Enidcom and they ended up with uh, Sky. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of them actually used the same set of nicknames. Right. So, so, you know, if, if, if somebody was using uh, Afro 21 or a bald guy um, on Enid, a lot of times those nicknames came back on Sky. 
Uh, and so what they do is, you know, they look at all those nicknames in the different systems and see if they can connect them to each other. And then the extra tool is if they arrest somebody and they find a phone on that person, mm. um, they can see if they can open it. And then, you know, you, you see um, the address book of the phone and that helps you. So then, you know, okay, this phone belongs to this person. And this is his address book. And then you use that information to go to that huge database to see if you can identify all the, uh, the, the aliases in the phone of the person you've arrested. And then you can sort of start developing a network of contacts. Mm. And that's sort of what the Dutch police at one point called, you know, with these tools, uh, it sort of gives us a blueprint of the Dutch underworld and the connections to the international criminal world. Yeah. And that, of course, has all played out in Marengo, where uh, Ridwan Taji has been sort of described as such as the boss of this organization. Yeah. Syed Razuki, his number mm -hmm. two. And then the other, is it 15 others yeah. that have been, mm -hmm. they are sort of lieutenants of them in, in with various roles, I'm sure be it logistics yeah. or weapons or enforcing or whatever. Um, so those messages, so they're actually, by breaking into these systems, these encrypted phones, they're actually getting a full picture of how the gang works, how they operate, how they operate within the home turf of the Netherlands, how they have uh, operated abroad, and how I think Taji was directing murder from his base in Dubai. Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, yeah, I mean, he was, it's not always been clear when he actually, uh, you know, was located, relocated into Dubai. They, some people think it's late 2015. Some people think it's somewhere in 2016. But yes, he was basically with his phone mm -hmm. directing this whole organization. And there is actually some, uh, you know, in some specific uh, murder cases, it's actually the, the, the prosecutors actually think that he is um, on the one hand in touch with the, with, uh, the people who are uh, uh, scouting and on the lookout to see if they can find uh, the, uh, the, the, the target of the killing. And at one point when they, when they see that target, uh, they message to Tahi, you know, we have him inside according to prosecutors. And then at the same time, Kahi on the other end of his phone, he's in touch with the people who are supposed to uh, kill, mm -hmm. do the actual shooting. And so it, it seems like, you know, he is just, you know, with his modern communication means in the middle of this web and, um, you know, um, directing, uh, you know, different people in his organizations with different roles to do what he thinks that needs to be done. And um, in that sense, it's it's it really has be almost become like a computer game because, you know, he's not there. He's just, you know, at the end of his phone somewhere in Dubai or Morocco or Spain. And he's just directing his people uh, from this far distance. And if you think about that, that is uh, quite amazing. And, you know, his micromanagement skills really is what's <laughs> landed, yeah. him, landed him in the dock. 
because yeah. uh, if he had to let them just get on with business themselves, he mightn't have been so tied up in it. His cousin we spoke about before, Yusuf Taggy, was jailed for five and a half years. Now, he was going in and out of the prison to him uh, when they're suspected of continuing criminal operations. And there was a number of incidents that happened in the Netherlands. Um, mm. The murder of Peter Orr de Vries, the journalist, the murder yeah. of Dirk Wurstrom, the criminal lawyer and the murder of Nabil B's brother, the witness's yeah. brother. Yeah. Um, where are we at with all of that now? And what are the conditions that Taggy is living under in prison? Is he literally locked down now? Uh, yes. So the conditions in prison now, he is in complete uh, isolation. And I think he is only allowed contact with his lawyers and one 10 minute phone call a week. And if he wants to have a phone call with a family member or his wife or one of his children, they have to be in a touch in a Dutch police office. So he is not allowed to call to people who are not um, under direct surveillance of the police so they can see what's going on. So this and this is an extreme strict uh, regime, which is also actually for all the other um, prisoners in the, the what I always call the Dutch supermax. Um, uh, it's it's the same regime. So, for instance, Rico, the, the the Chilean, he's also in that kind of regime. Mm. So it's very strict. In in relation to those three murders, um, the scenario of the police and the prosecutors is that these three murders were committed um, uh, under the direction or of of Tahi or members of his organization. I have to put a big disclaimer here that, you know, they have not found the proof mm -hmm. that links actually links Tahi to those murders. Um, and they have also not, um, uh, uh, how do you say that they have not uh, arraigned him for it. So mm -hmm. it's still a theory, uh, but those three murders, they, in all the cases, uh, they have uh, found the shooters and the people who organized the actual killing. Mm. Uh, and in the two first cases, so the brother of the deal witness of Nabil and uh, his lawyer, Derek Wiesen, the shooters have been killed, uh, sorry, have been uh, convicted. Mm -hmm. uh, the first was something like 27 and, and the other two of, of Wiesen were convicted for 30 years in jail, which, by the, may, by the way, in the Netherlands means that you have to sit out a 20-year sentence. So you, you only get like two years uh uh, uh suspended uh, suspended so it's it's uh, these are really long sentences mm. uh and then in the in the third case the the the, the, the people of uh, who were involved with organizing and and doing the actual murder of Peter de Vries there is now nine or ten suspects already in prison and last year we were expecting uh, a verdict for the the first two uh, uh, suspects, but this investigation has quickened a lot. So uh, now we're looking at a new trial uh, somewhere in the fall of this year and then uh, possibly sentence uh, by the end of the year or early uh, next year. And I think there are now nine or ten suspects mm. um, uh, in prison. And then, you know, what 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 else is going on is um, 
uh, that he had at, at one point, he was able to communicate uh, with some people of his family and members of his organization, according to prosecutors, um, from his uh, yeah, isolated uh, uh, jail, uh, prison, prison uh, cell. And um, in that investigation, actually, uh, Sky messaging uh, plays a very big role. Mm. And also what we see there is that um, Tahi had been in contact with uh, Raffaele Imperiale, the, the Italian uh, member of the of the gang, and um, he was assisted at that point by a nephew who was also uh, a lawyer, um, a penal lawyer, and uh, that nephew has been uh, tried and sentenced to a, sil- a jail sentence of five or seven years, I forgot, uh, recently. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, the, the big question is, you know, will they will they be able to figure out the link between these three killings of, you know, the people around uh, deal with this Nabil Bey? And will they find evidence that links those murders to uh, either Tahi himself or people who were working for him or under his name? Now, you've mentioned to me before that you know, Tahi, that his organization is vast. It's it's a large uh, yeah. sort of multi-generational almost organization uh, with strong bonds, some of them familial, um, up to 200 members identified in the wider organization. Have they been dismantled at this point? There, I get a sense that there's some calm has finally settled in the Netherlands and has this organization been by the arrests of a lot of these hitmen through other tragedies and that 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 happened mm-hmm. after Taggy was brought in have they been weakened i i think they have been weakened but the question is whether you know this whole group is broken and uh to be honest i have to seriously doubt that uh, because you know the the network is big, um, they have managed to um, earn vast amounts of monies, and I mean, uh, you know, if you're if you're talking, you know, in the environment of cocaine smuggling or cocaine trafficking, uh, you're talking on an annual basis in the hundreds of millions of euros. I've seen files where a single trafficker made over a hundred million in one year. Profit, not right. turn. Uh, so, so there is vast amounts of money. Um, I mean, uh, and if you live this life, you also spend vast amounts of money. But you know, with that kind of amounts, I'm sure you'll be able to to put some stuff, some some of it away. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there is still uh, a running investigation into what the Dutch police and prosecutors now uh, call criminal power structures. And they are really looking at, um, you know, who was, you know, directly or indirectly involved in these networks and in these smuggling organizations. And we find um, the people who uh, take care of the money of these smuggling organizations. Mm. And, uh, you know, if you in the end want to dismantle these power structures, and that's the, the, the goal, the aim of this investigation. 
there's only one way to end it. You know, you have to arrest the main, uh, the, the main leaders or the main, uh, you know, the, 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 the most important figures of the organization. But you have to find their money mm. because as long as they have money, they have power to buy means and do things to organize uh, what they want to do. And in that sense, um, uh, what I find uh, interesting is uh, the approach of the Americans. If you look at what they are doing uh, with uh, the organization of Daniel Kinahan in, in the States, they are not going after criminal uh, behavior. They are just going straight at their uh, business and their uh, uh, assets. Mm. And uh, it looks like the Dutch want to do that, you know, with uh, the criminal part of the organization of uh, of Tahi. Mm. Uh, and I presume all the evidence, all the evidence is there in that vast amount of communication and decrypted messages that that is now in the possession of the Dutch and the Belgians and the French and the Spanish and the UK. And I think we have privy to some of them ourselves. But the secrets of, of the underworld and that enormous growth of the uh, or of organized crime over the past 10, 20 years mm -hmm. during the cocaine gold rush is all there in those messages. Yeah, it is. And and so, you know, in, in relation to that, you know, pro uh, project of breaking power structures of Dutch underworld, what they've done is they, you know, they've they've taken all those messages, all those encrypted messages. So from the early Enetcom to the Sky messages, the whole uh, database. So we're talking hundreds of millions of messages. And they started investigating uh, on keywords relating to money, uh, possessions and money laundering. Mm. And uh, police presented like a first analysis of that investigation. And the conclusion of that was that, uh, and it did not come as a surprise to me, but in the end, if you look at what they found, it is quite a dramatic change of the way we think about money in the underworld. What they are saying is that uh, because of the strict money laundering laws that most Western countries have in place now, criminals have developed uh, like, uh, an, as a secondary financial structure, mm. an illegal financial structure, a parallel banking world where um, they use, they've built basically their own infrastructure to uh, pay each other, to uh, do transactions with each other and to um, uh, keep credit and debit lines open. Mm. And uh, what I've learned from, you know, my contacts in the underworld they they've always told me you know if you're looking at the major traffickers in the world they try to do as much business without any money going back and forth so they basically have credit lines and every every so often they you know they finalize the score so mm. at the end of the uh, under the under the line you know you have to pay or you you you're going to get money uh, and but they they're trying to do it as much as possible with as much as possible of these transactions they do with as little money as possible. So they, for instance, use international uh, trading agreements and international uh, you know uh, 
let's say, you know, buying and selling of clothes or buying and selling of plastics or chemicals or uh, toys. And they, that's how they try to settle their scores. So, you know, there's one guy uh, in somewhere in Latin America who's owed 100 million uh, euros or 10 million euros. And uh, then there is a Dutch guy who orders a whole shitload of toys from China mm. and has them sent to Latin America as the payment for um, that, you know, the underlying score. Mm. And this is what's called transaction-based money laundering. And that's how they think the underworld is really dealing with the fast amount of cash they have. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's hugely complicated, but it's also really fascinating how it works. So you, you, they, they actually think that you have brokers in the Netherlands who just, uh, whose job is to, um, to, if somebody needs a hundred, a million euros to settle a score, they're going to find somebody else who has a million euros that he can give away or lend out as you wish. Um, and uh, then the broker brings those two parties together and then, you know, money changes from one owner to the other. And then, you know, the, the, and then it also means there is a debit or a credit between those two. And these brokers, they are in contact with underworld bankers and they have just massive amounts of cash that they use to do these transactions. Uh, so it's actually thought that uh, there is this amount of criminal cash that is just, you know, floating around between people to settle scores. And then one of the fascinating details about that uh, investigation is they use uh, every printed euro bill, whether it's a five euro or a 500 euro bill, has an exclusive number on it. So every bill has an uh, 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 a single number on it and they use so they give you a, 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 a photo of a five euro bill and that number is your token right. to confirm when you know somebody does a drop off or a pickup you know that that number that number on that bill is the token you know as the password to say okay i'm legit you know this is my token i'm supposed to give this million to you or get this million from you uh, so that's how it works, and it it it's really complicated. It's, I I'm, I hope I hope I have I've tried to explain it, um, but they have learned quite a bit about this whole underworld banking system, and the next step is now: can they use that knowledge to uh, yeah you know find the money and break down uh, the organizations that have. Uh, sometimes or most of the time legal assets and connect them to the criminal world. It's almost ironic that that world are relying on a system essentially of trust between, yeah. uh, you know, some of the most untrustworthy people in the world are all having to trust one another that they'll get paid eventually. Um, yeah. Totally ironic. And obviously it's it's running just as a completely separate economy. You know, it's, yeah. it's a percentage of the economy. You'd wonder, would it just make everything It'd be like a tidal wave uh, hitting the world economy if they did manage to to crack into it and, and you know to t for the the legitimate economy to take the sort of the, that black money back. Uh, what would happen? Um, it's for an economic mind, which isn't mine. But uh, just going back then to Marengo mm. um, before we finish, there has been calls for life sentences for Taggy for uh, Syed Razuki and for the other members of the organization. 
is there are we are we are you like I am with Hutch waiting for a verdict there or is there closing speeches yet to come? Um, there, the closing speeches are happening in April, and then you know if, whenever you're suspect in a case like this, you have the chance for a last word, and that's really the end of the uh, of the of the of the case in itself. And those are scheduled for April. And then if there's no other new developments, the court will close the hearings and they will start thinking about their verdict. And that's now planned in uh, September or early October. Uh, and it's actually, yeah, we, we presume that four or five of the, of the suspects are looking at uh, a life sentence. And a number of other ones are looking at, you know, 20 to 30 years. And again, you know, you, you get like a max of, of two years of, uh, of uh, 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 an early release. So, so we're looking at really a, a huge amount of heavy sentences mm. being handed out. And, and yeah, considering the evidence, considering that a number of the, the, the main suspects have used uh, have been silent throughout the whole uh, uh, hearing stage of the trial. Um, there is, yeah, I, I, there is very there maybe if in if one or two cases that you know you could think okay, this this might you know this is it's unclear what mm -hmm. the, what the court will do, but in most cases it looks um, it looks like it's going to be uh, very very harsh. And if you consider that there are six murders committed and 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 more than six planned mm. but failed, then uh, uh, you can see that uh, uh, yeah they're going to uh, be heavy sentences if they yeah. if they're convicted. Yeah, you, you mentioned there um, about El Rico and the appeal that there was some interesting mm. aspects coming up in that. Is that again yeah. related to the encrypted phones? Uh, yeah, it is mm. because. Um, um uh Rico uh had contact with Dahi and with Imperiale uh on on you know through Enetcom or PGP Safe mm. early on, so what 2016. And they you know, the prosecutors think that they have been talking about uh, having somebody killed in Dubai. Mm. And uh since Imperiale is now Pentiti. Uh, uh, you know, they had wanted to hear him as a witness in the, you know, in the, in the trial against uh, uh, Rico. Uh, now there is an appeal, and uh, you know, during the trial they couldn't find Imperiale, but now there is an appeal, and Imperiale is in an, in an Italian cell. Yes. So they're trying to, uh, as I understand, they're trying to arrange. A, like a, a a hearing as a as imperial as a witness uh on you know uh, with a digital uh, uh technology like we're doing this uh, podcast yes um and i've heard that that is possibly scheduled in april or in may mm. but it's unclear whether it's going to happen and there is one just like little thing in italian law as you know when when a guy like imperiale uh, uh takes a deal the Italians have six months to get all their evidence out of his statements. So after six months, uh, the, the phase of, of giving uh, statements is over. 
and everything has to be you know put on paper mm-hmm. and, and that's sort of what the pentiki law does in italy and one of the interesting things in that period is that according to italian law as well uh, a pentiti has to uh, tell everything about his criminal possessions and assets so in this case imperiale has to give up everything he owns uh and and you know uh gathered all his his uh, investments gathered by uh criminal activity and if you think about the fact that this guy has been on crypto phones you know since they were around until he got arrested mm. you know he has to think what have i told to anybody <laughs> about you know investments money uh storages and that kind of stuff because if they catch him you know not telling the whole truth about what he owns in in criminal assets uh, because there are some messages that they have from him and he tries to uh, didn't speak about it then you know his deal might fall through so there is you know quite a bit of pressure on him if if i understand it right to to really tell the whole story and then that means you know what is going to come up so uh as for me i am really looking forward to reading his statements mm. whenever they come I, i don't think it will be before the summer uh and to hear what he has to say about the people you know that he worked with and then we're talking obviously about tahi and uh, and about rico but we're also talking about uh, the kinahan clan yeah. um and it's going to be fascinating to see uh what if and what he is going to uh, tell us about this whole international cooperation uh on drug trafficking for sure when was the murder they were supposedly planning in dubai it was in 2016 you know there is it's um uh, it, it's been it's been uh discussed during his trial there is we had one infamous uh drug trafficker who's called uh Samir Bouyakishan Samir Scarface mm. and he was killed in Spain in 2014 mm-hmm. and he has a brother he's called Karim and and they were talking about killing Karim in Dubai um uh and they they were messaging about you know do we have the ninjas ready and do we have their knives and do we have this and that and according to police and prosecutors they were talking about killing this Karim Bouyakishan uh by stabbing him not shooting him but stabbing him and uh again you know uh Rico was not uh, tried nor convicted for this it's it's been discussed in the Tahi trial but it's it, it's been set aside as not relevant enough to prosecute him for um but um for yeah, you know in relation to can they prosecute Rico for more than money laundering and and drug trafficking but for murder this is one of the cases that they're looking at so the question is uh does imperial and no more and uh is he going to talk about it because that could be yeah for rico it could be the difference between you know 12 13 year sentence that he has now or looking at lifetime sentence mm. and god knows what's there for daniel kinahan uh given the relations between them all well look jan fascinating as always and definitely come back to you Uh, All right. I'll come back to you by May because you have a few things wrapped up then as well, don't you? You'll have an idea on whether or not uh, Imperiale is going to be giving that video evidence yeah. in the Rico tra- Rico appeal, yeah. and also we'll have a conclusion of the Marengo. So 
Look, thanks a million for your time and for keeping us up to date on what's happening in the Netherlands. All right. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.